AIC, and it's great to see people using their gifts to serve the Lord, and especially through music this morning. Well, um, today we're going to uh, have, uh, have a sermon message a little bit differently today, and uh, to kind of introduce this a little bit, some of you, um, many of you actually, have already signed up for what's called Right Now Media. It's something that we have set up and created an account for at AIC, and uh, we have sent out invitations to many of you, and it's free. Uh, there's no extra cost, and you can actually share the link and, and whatnot um, with your friends and family members. And so we're just going to do a brief walkthrough of how to sign up and register and log in if you haven't done so already. Um, so first of all, if you have no idea how to register or log in, you can go to our website, aic.org.hk, and then you can go down to Media, and then Right Now Media towards the bottom, and then there's a link there where you can click to, um, to get a, an invitation or to receive the inv free invitation. Um, Internet's not working well, so I've, yeah, preloaded. So on that invitation page, you can just type in your information, and then you can create a login, and then um, you can go to the page where it says library at the top. Okay, now this is where you would be directed to to log in, and as you, if we scroll down a little bit, we'll see that there's so many different um, categories of uh, videos that you can watch. Bible studies, um, there's uh, things that are originally put out by Right Now Media, lots of kids' programs, there's even things for youth, um, there's even uh, illustrations, um, there's conferences, training courses. Uh, there's uh, resources, videos for parents, uh, for um, families, for marriage. Um, there's even ones for women's and men's ministry, okay, leadership, whatever topic you want. And so uh, this is a library that has thousands of videos, and you may not know where to start. So what you can do is you can type in uh, at the top um, left where there's a search button. You can click on that. Okay. There's... Yeah, search. Okay. Well, actually, uh, when you log in, if you click log in, um, it'll have a place where you can input your email and your password that you have uh, created. And then if you, um, if you do a search, okay, let's say you can yeah, click on that little thing. You can type in Philippians, let's say. Okay, we're, we're studying Philippians. And then uh, when you click on that, there will be the next tab, yes, um, you can have different, different options will come up. And so one of them is uh, To Live as Christ, To Die as Gain, a, a video series uh, on Philippians by Matt Chandler. And Matt Chandler is a famous, uh, well, in the States, he's a well-known pastor and um, preacher um, and speaker. And so um, as, you, as you can see, there's several sessions there. And so let's say that today we want to watch number three, the one that God exalts. So you can click on that, and then obviously we didn't log in yet. Um, but it'll come up to where you can watch the video. And so um, that's just a brief, brief um, tutorial on how to set up and kind of scroll through and look through um, Right Now Media. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to actually watch a video, um, one of in the series by Matt Chandler, um, uh, the, the one that God exalts. And so this is the passage that um, Pastor Mike was going to preach on today, um, but because uh, we had this as such a great resource and we wanted to give you this as an opportunity um, to uh, introduce you or reintroduce you to Right Now Media, we thought this would be a good way 
uh, to have our message today. So we're going to watch a video. Um, in just a moment. <laughs> you can uh, mirror this one. It's okay. Put it on, on the one here. Yeah. You can awkwardly look at me. <laughs> I don't mind awkward pauses and awkward silence. They're going to set it up in a moment. Apparently my signal went out on the computer. All right, there we go. So if the cross of Christ absorbs God's wrath to the point where it, if you would believe and repent, you could be saved. And that's true of Lydia, the CEO. That's true of the demon-possessed slave girl. And that's true of the blue-collar jailer. And, and not only does he just save you from your sin, but then even sustains you in the worst, darkest of circumstances, what's the correct Christian posture? Like, what's the, what's the virtue, if all of that's true, what's the virtue that should be the foundational, defining virtue of Christian living? Well, that, that takes us into tonight. It takes us into this next session is what we'll be talking about next. Philippians chapter 2 is mean. I don't know how else to say it except that it's mean. And, and what I mean by that, oh, mean and mean, <laughs> it, it really does go after the heart. And, and where I think there are some things in chapter 1 that really kind of lean on your heart, like 2 violently goes after the heart of our faith. And, and why that's difficult. And, and it's, gonna, it's just one little line, really one or two little lines that opens up this huge box that I think we have to deal with, we have to look at, and, and we have to see just the, the idea present in two is so ever-present in the scriptures that, that I, I would say if you try to wring the scriptures out, it's what would come out. Um, and and it's a, I, I think it's an area of difficulty for everyone. Um, and so with, with that kind of as our intro, let, let's, let's look at this. He, he's going to start out really 
I, I mean, just reviewing everything that he said in the first two sessions. So y- y- you'll see what I mean. Two, starting in verse one. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, well, okay, we know that there is encouragement in Christ. What's the encouragement? That all can be saved regardless of backgrounds, regardless of aptitudes, regardless of whether we've suffered or whether we've walked in joy, whether we're from good families or difficult families, salvation can be had. That's, that's great encouragement in Christ. If there's any comfort from love, yes, that God saves us. The love of God saves us in the middle of whatever slavery we're in. Whether we're a slave to pursuing um, what Lydia was pursuing, a slave to bitterness and anger like the slave girl was, or, or just a just an indifferent man enslaved to duty um, like the jailer was. And, and so then, yeah, we've got it. Any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Now he's talking about for me, any affection and sympathy for me. Complete my joy. Now listen to this. And think back to how we, how we ended chapter 1. Okay? Any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being the same mind. Now that doesn't sound familiar. Um, of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Doesn't that sound very similar to how he wrapped up the thoughts in, in chapter 1? Now, the next two sentences, it, it, they're, they're going gonna to open a box for us um, that, that I think is unbelievably weighty. Here we go, verse 3. Do nothing, all right? Do nothing. No, no matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter what you're a part of, the next two words cannot be a motivating factor. All right? Do nothing from rivalry. So here's what that is. Rivalry is I've got to do better than they're doing. So if they're making this amount of money, I've got to make this amount of money. If they're this level of happiness, I've got to be a little bit happier than them. If they live in this size house, I've got to live in just a little bit bigger. I've got to beat them. All right? And then the second word, all right, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. All right? So if rivalries, I've got to beat them. Conceit is when you lose, hating them for the blessings they experience despising them, being angry, being frustrated, being... All right, and you can gauge this. Like, it's not just... It, it's not just being jealous, but it, it could even be... I think little telltale signs of conceit are if someone has something bad happen to them or someone struggles and you kind of take joy in that, that, that's, that would be conceit also. So that can never be our motivating factor, but look at this next line. But in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. That's hard. If you don't think that's hard, I don't think you're human or I don't think that you engage in any type of real intellectual exercise about what the weight of that command actually looks like. Okay? Then look at, look at what he's going to keep going for. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now, this statement, these two ideas, don't operate in pride, don't walk in arrogance, in the end, rivalry and conceit have their root in an arrogant belief that we are due more than we have, we're worthy of more honor than we're getting, we're worthy of more possessions than we have, we're worth, it's an arrogant, proud positioning, all right? So don't do any, don't ever let that be in you, but instead, 
constantly live your life. Think about this. At work, at home, in your relationships, live in such a way that you care about other people's lives and that you consider them more significant than you. Now, I, I said just a second ago that this, this idea is so present in the scriptures, the lowliness of a man's soul, that, that if you wrung out the Bible, I, I, I think this would just drip out of it. Let, let me show you through Mary's Magnificent, how, how prevalent this idea of lowliness and humility versus pride is in the scriptures. And what I hope to do is show you how God responds to the humble and how God responds to the proud in, in the hopes that we can see where we want to put our lives. All right? So do this. Once again, keep your finger here and let's flip back to Luke 1. Now, to catch you up in the story, which I don't have to do too much of because you're in Luke 1. Um, an angel shows up and, and tells uh, Elizabeth she's going to have a baby. Now, all we know about Elizabeth is she's old, too old to be having a baby, okay? And, and so she finds out she's pregnant. The angel then appears a couple of months later to Mary and tells Mary that she is, she's going to give birth to Jesus, the Son of God, She's, how's this possible? I'm a virgin. The Holy Spirit's conceived in your womb. She finds out she's going to um, give birth to the son. And then she goes and visits Elizabeth. And, and it's in this exchange between these two ladies that I think we get some of the most profound um, pieces of Scripture in our sacred literature. So look in, starting verse 39 of 1. Here's what it says. In those days... Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, listen to this, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my what? Lord should come to me. Now, I, I want you to get this. Elizabeth just called the unborn child in Mary's womb, Lord. She's worshiping the baby in Mary's womb. This is unbelievably profound, I think. Unbelievably profound. All right? 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. But before we get into Mary's response to this, the Magnificent. Um, over the last 10 years, I've had the opportunity to travel overseas quite a bit. One of the things that happens to me every time it doesn't happen to me while I'm here, but when I leave here, and specifically if I leave my wife and children, and I go to the other side of the world, um, especially in the trips into Asia, th these really weird moments happen where I, I, I pick up the phone and, and I want to talk to Lauren, but then I realize, despite the fact that it's three in the afternoon where I am, it's four in the morning where she is. And, and so while I'm here, while I'm in Dallas where I live, I am not aware of how big and vast the world is. I'm just not. It doesn't enter into my mind. It doesn't. That right now, there's a whole side of the planet that it's daytime for. 
Like it, I just don't think about how big and massive the world is. But you let me go to Asia and let something cool happen and let me want to pick up the phone and call my wife to tell her and then realize I can't because it's four in the morning and, uh, you know, everybody's relationship with their spouse is a little different. My wife doesn't care until the sun comes up, all right? It, it wouldn't matter like, oh, I raised a guy from the dead, all right? She'd be like, you got to tell me that in the morning. So it, it, it's one of those deals where I just kind of wait to, to call her. And, and so um, in that moment, I'm aware of just how massive planet Earth is. And then if I'll roll that out, if I'll roll that out and go beyond just the fact that right now, right now, in this moment, there are millions of people that are laughing, that are crying, that are at the height of emotional joy, that are at the depth of emotional pain, that there are those right now dying, like right now, while we're talking about this, in a hospital somewhere in the world, someone's breathing their last breath. While at the same time, someone's giving birth to their first child. While at the same time, somebody's eating dinner. While at the same time, someone's eating breakfast. While at the same time, somebody's in gym class. While at the same time, somebody is studying in the middle of the night for something the next day. While at the same time, I mean, it's vast. It's expansive. It's, now, you roll that out to the universe? I mean, you roll that out and go, right now? There's a planet hundreds of millions of light years from here that exists all under the sovereign control and might and power of God. You start to understand a little bit when David goes, when I see the stars, who am I that you are mindful of me? That you would be. And so, Elizabeth, now, now catch this, because this is, this is what's coming out of Mary here. God is about to create one of the apexes in human history. All right? Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Those are your apexes in human history. He is about to enter into the framework of humanity in an unbelievable God in the flesh. Emmanuel. How does he decide to do it? In an obscure part of the world, an elderly lady who shouldn't get pregnant, and a virginal teenager that shouldn't be pregnant. All right? So out of this, well, in fact, if you, ever, if you get the chance to read all of Luke 1, it's this great scene where the angel appears before Mary and says, blessed are you, a righteous woman. And she's like, who are you talking to? Me? Me? You mean me? You mean me? All right. So it's out of understanding the vastness, size, power, might of God, and yet God chose Mary, that the magnificent comes out of Mary. It's a really beautiful poetic thing. But in it, are, let me, there are six things in it. There are three ways that God handles the humble of heart, and there are three ways that God handles the proud and arrogant. So I'm going to list those out, and then under each one of them, I, I want to show you in the Bible how often that idea comes up, how constant that idea is in the Scriptures, and, and then we can see, okay, if God's going to handle the humble this way and the proud this way, where should we position our lives? Okay? So let's look at this. In 46 of Luke 1, And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Here's our first Here's our first. 
Here's how he handles the humble in 50. His mercy is on those who fear him. Now, this idea of fear, um, it, it's, not, it, it's not so much terror as it is awe. Let, let me give you a perfect example. Um, at our, our church does a family camp every summer. We go out into the woods, and they have a little petting zoo there for the children. And inside that petting zoo, they have these goats that faint. I don't know if you've seen that. YouTube it. It's great. It would be a great seven minutes of your life, all right? There are these goats that if you scare them, like if you get behind them and go, ah, all right, they'll, they'll, their legs will lock, and they'll just fall over. And so when they give you the tour the first day, you kind of walk into that pen, and they're like, these are fainting goats. Don't, please don't jack with a goat. Don't mess with the goats. And every man in that room hears... That goat faints if I jack with it, all right? And, and they immediately just start creating the game, all right? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get a board. We're going to see. We're going to time it. We're going to see who can get. And all week long, everybody's in there checking with that goat, all right? Trying to see how quickly they can make the goat's legs lock and black out. Now, so guys will go in and they'll slap its bottom. They'll just scream, ah, all right? They'll run at it. They'll do whatever they can to get the goat to faint. Now, I, I propose, I, I think that the game would be different if instead of a goat, there was a male lion in there. All right? I don't think anybody's running in there. Now, if it's in the petting zoo and it's safe and it's there and the guy's there going, no, you can come in and pet it. You can come in and feed it. You can come in and, and, and we could muster the courage to go in there. I don't think anybody's slapping its bottom. I don't think anybody's screaming and running at it. I don't think anybody wants to play the game. Let's see if we can get the apex predator to run from us. I think there is respect. I think there's gentleness. I think there's a little bit of um, you feed him first. All right? That, that's it. That's, that's fear. That's awe. That's, and the scriptures say here that God has mercy on those who stand in awe who are a little ginger, who are a little nervous, and maybe even want somebody else to go up there first. Now, this is not an isolated statement by Mary. This is the Bible. We'll just go. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. I'm just making this up off the top of my head. For... For the Lord he wanted to see. That's something we should sing that. Anyway, Zacchaeus sees Jesus coming. He's a tax collector, all right? Let's get what a tax collector is in our head. He is a man that is raising money for an occupying Roman force that has raped, murdered, and slaughtered men, women, and children by the thousands, all right? So... That's why they're furious when Jesus hangs out with the tax collectors. Not because they took 20 more bucks than they should have so they could buy themselves a nicer chariot. They're funding an occupying army. They, are, they deserve to be caught on fire. All right? They are miserable human beings. Zacchaeus, wanting to see the holy man, not able to because he's short, climbs the sycamore tree to see and I contend to not be seen tries to get a glance of Jesus, what does Jesus do? He walks right up to the tree and says, Zacchaeus, you come down, or I'm going to your house today, right? <laughs> they go to his house, and by the end of dinner, what, is, what does Jesus say? Salvation has come to this house. 
Salvation's come to this house. Mercy given to the tax collector Zacchaeus. Why? Awe, fear, lowliness, respect for the lion of Judah. But man, listen, I, I mean, I literally have dozens, dozens of these. We'll, we'll just do uh, a couple. Um, a woman comes up to Jesus. Her son is very, very sick. And she says, Jesus, will you heal my son? Jesus' response, I'm here for the Jews, not the Gentiles. Why would I throw, why would I give food to the dogs? That's a harsh text, isn't it? What was the woman's response? But even the dogs get to eat the scraps off the floor. Awe, fear, just give me your scraps. What does Jesus do? I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Go, your son as well. Mercy for those who fear him. All right. Another story, Jesus is walking. He's getting mobbed by this crowd. This woman who has a, a bleeding disorder, she just bleeds all the time internally. She, she reaches out. And she just grabs, like she doesn't want to be seen. She doesn't want, she reaches out and grabs and power goes out, heals her. And then what does she do? She immediately fades into the background. Those who fear him immediately. So he stops. Who touched me? His disciples go, everyone. There's a mob. Everyone touched you. He's like, no, no, no. I felt the power go out. Who touched me? Woman trembling, terrified, comes out. Me, I did. Faith has made you well. Mercy on those who fear him. Right? Or, you know the perfect example? Jesus nailed to a cross, being mocked and spit upon, even being mocked by one moron that's being crucified next to him. I mean, you thought how just ridiculous that is? Has the other man on the cross say, have you no fear of God to his partner in crime? Surely this is a holy man. Sure, we deserve this. He does not deserve this. Remember me when you come into your... What does Jesus say? Today. Today you will be with me in paradise. No chance to atone. No chance for good works to out, outweigh his bad works. What does he have? Fear. Awe. Respect. Worship. Ginger. What's God's response? Mercy. Okay? God's going to flex. The incarnation's coming. Where does he send? Where does he send God in the flesh to be born? Bethlehem? A barn? Who's the first people he tells? The shepherds. I mean, this is the story of the Bible. Those who fear me, I have mercy towards. All right? She doesn't stop there. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. And his mercy is there for those who feed him from generation to generation. 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Now listen to this. And exalted those of humble estate. All right. Let's do it again. Over and over again, you're going to see this. You're going, it's a rare occurrence in the scripture to see God take a strong, capable, brilliant, powerful man and exalt him in any type of real way. He instead chooses to use nobodies. I mean, I don't know how else to explain it. It's kind of like the who's who of who is that. 
All right? It's just how God tends to work. It's like, who's the most obscure moron I can find here to fill with my power? Uh, A couple of examples. Prophet Nathan is sent to Jesse to look over his sons and to anoint one of them as king. Okay? He gets there, and Jesse puts all of his sons in front of the prophet. He doesn't even think to get David. Why? David's playing his harp somewhere. It's not the field playing. And listen, when you think warrior king, you don't think dude in the field playing a harp. All right? It's not what you You think sword. You think wrestling lions and bears. You don't think that... All right? That's not who you think. So they don't go get him at all. In fact, the prophet has to remind Jesse, I think you're missing someone. And Jesse's like, well, no. No, I don't think... Oh, David. Yeah, David plays the harp. He plays the harp. I don't think that's what you're after. He's like, well, just go get him. So David shows up, and, and he anoints him king. You know who's king at the time? Saul. Do you know what the Bible says about Saul? He's a foot taller than anyone else in Israel. He's the best hunter and the best warrior in the nation. And God grabs the guy in the field playing the harp. He exalts those of lowly estate. Moses. Now, Moses had some things going for him. But he also was a stutterer and a murderer. And, I mean, literally, he goes, you're going to be my mouthpiece. And Moses goes, I can't talk. I mean, read it. That's what happens. You're going to be my mouthpiece. To the- Think about how crazy that is. Who's going to lead my people out of Israel, out of Egypt, out of slavery. You, uh, I am not only not eloquent, but I stutter. So, lowly, exalted. Lowly, exalted. Um, A a couple more on this, but I I think we can go. My my favorite, um, by by far, is Peter. I love Peter. The fact that Peter exists always infuses my life with hope. All right? Because Peter is a guy that literally can never figure it out. N- never. Not even after the Holy Spirit fil- fills him. All right? He, he, he right away, um, he's having, he has to be rebuked by one of his own disciples because he's sitting with the wealthy Jews instead of hanging out with the, the Gentiles. All right? But, but let's talk about Peter. In, in the Jewish system, um, young men would have been taken to um, school very, very early. And, and those who had the best aptitude, they were left in school. But most of the other ones, by the time they're six, seven, eight years old, are sent back to their daddies to learn a trade. All right? And, and then, you know, if you have an intellectual aptitude and you can, you know, the, 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 the Pharisees, they wanted the best and brightest possible student. Think like a university wants the best. Universities don't want to let in morons. All right? They, they don't want to. They want sharp, gifted, to represent the university well. Right? Um, and, and so that's the same as the Pharisees. So Peter, when Jesus finds him, is doing what? He's fishing. Since the Pharisees don't fish, Peter wasn't one of the brightest. In fact, probably pretty early on, they're like, yeah, why don't you go fish? Why don't you catch us fish? And sent Peter home. Peter's a guy that hot-headed, talks before he thinks. He, even when he gets compliments, he ruins them immediately. Doesn't he? 
Yeah. And Jesus goes, on this man, I'll build my church. And there's all the debate about who he's pointing at and what, but, it, but it's distinctively Peter he's talking to. Right? Like even in the great, I mean, just to prove my point here, even in the great dialogue between Jesus and Peter to restore Peter after the, the fall, he, he says, do you agape me, Peter? Peter's response, you know I phileo you. Jesus says, do you love me unconditionally? Peter goes, you know I love you like a brother. <laughs> Peter, do you agape me? And just to answer the question, why do you keep asking it? You know I phileo you. Peter, do you agape me? You know I phileo you. Yeah, that's not going to be enough because one day somebody's going to lead you where you don't want to go. He's, he's referencing the way Peter would be killed. Right? And yet this guy, please hear this, who's constantly failing Christ, who, who constantly blunders, is exalted, made, used as an apostle used as a missionary to the Jews, used as, this was a profound man of God, right? Um, a, a couple other examples of being exalted. Um, it, you, you could, I mean, you could use Mary here. You could use over and over again. God loves this type of person, all right? Now, let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. 53. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. I, I love this idea that the hungry he has filled with good things. Gratitude, I, I believe, is one of the most powerful forces God created in the universe. When our heart is filled with gratitude, when we, when we are hungry and God gives Everything works better, not when we want more, but when there's this gratitude of what he has given us. So marriage works best when I am grateful that God gave me my wife, when I am grateful for her strengths, when I am grateful for what she brings, when I'm grateful for who she is, and I'm grateful for having a wife. Being a father works best when I'm grateful for my children. When I'm grateful for how God made Audrey, as precocious as she is. When I'm grateful for how God made Reed, as boy, violent, get him as he is. Alright? When I'm grateful for that, life works and worships there. And I'm lonely and I'm giving credit to where credit belongs. Versus me going, ah, I wish I had a better wife. Well, you can't even be... You'll never have what you want. Because the hungry get filled. And we'll talk about this in a second, but the rich will always be hungry. And he says those who are, like think of the sinner, all right? Think of the woman caught in adultery. Think of Zacchaeus. Think of, think of the man in the temple who beat his breast and said, woe is me, I am a sinner and I am unclean. Like in that moment when grace is given to them, when mercy is given to them, when good things are given to them, that creates gratitude in the heart. Gratitude can take a strong man to his knees. Yeah, he fills the hungry with good things. He fills the hungry with good things. Go back and read Luke 1. And, and I know this is a study of Philippians. But go back and read Mary's poem. Go back and read her song. 
pay very close attention to how God handles the proud, how God handles the meek, the lowly. Look at it, pray through it, look at your heart, look at your life. Are there evidences of pride in your life? Is there entitlement? Is there... This is such a big deal, such a serious deal. If God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, I don't, I don't know that there's a better exercise than to look at your life and go, in my marriage, in my relationship with my children, in my relationship at work, in, in my relationship at play, in, in all my life, am I walking in entitlement and pride? Read back through Mary's song. Lay it on top of your life and see where you lie. the uh, worship team to come up as we prepare for a closing song, a song of response. And I hope that you were uh, encouraged and challenged by the message today. And um, we're going to just take a moment before we sing uh, a song of response to check our hearts and, and ask, are we grateful for what God has done in our lives? And do we have an issue of humility in our lives? Um, and to really look at our hearts, our character, and how we interact with those around us. So let's take a moment, um, and then I'll pray to transition us to our closing song. So just a moment between you and God uh, to do a heart check. <laughs> 